Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business presented by FL Montreal. Dan Delmar and Mike Newton with you today. Good afternoon, Mike. Hey, Dan. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks. Today on the program, we have a couple of younger entrepreneurs um, who are already starting a second venture. So we're going to talk to Simon Berman and Jeffrey Kleiman from ClickSpace and Montreal Mini Storage. So a bit of a traditional business, the storage business, but then merging that with an online property and uh, taking it to, um, to new heights. So it's a really interesting sort of all-in-one platform to help people grow their business at the manufacturing level, um, which I think is, uh, is, is pretty interesting and something that we've, we've touched on a few times uh, in the past few weeks, Mike. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting to, like you said, the mix between the traditional and, and, and the newer space, uh, all pretty much operating at the same time. So it'll, uh, you know, give everybody a little bit of hope that uh, not everything that was traditional is gone by the wayside at this point. And later in the program, we're going to talk about HR issues with our consultant, Alita Eid. And Alita will talk about uh, post-COVID issues in particular, employee experience, and ensuring how, um, how people can adapt their practices to this new environment. That is all coming up in a little while. Um, but first, as usual, news and notes, Mike. And um, this one is, of course, uh, an ongoing issue as we talk about leadership and uh, well, not just thought leadership, like we talked about last time, but all kinds of leadership and the skills founders will need to succeed in 2021. Um, this piece from Inc.com. Um, what do you think? What are are the major ones? Um, let's actually start with with empathy, because that's that's, I think, a big theme of 2021 is, is leaders having empathy to deal with all kinds of issues. Well, I think it's it's deeper than empathy. I think ultimately, at the end of the day, it's everything that falls under the emotional intelligence component. I mean, certainly, you know, when I go back to uh, to the uh, the late '80s, early '90s, when I was in McGill, emotional intelligence was not a subject uh, that was ever brought up. I mean, now you're talking about starting a business today. You better understand the people you're working with. You better understand your space. Uh, you know, in the room with everybody else. And there's no doubt that empathy is is one of the largest ones to understand. And and if you're going to start anything today. Um, you know, people are going to come and join you or whether they're coming back to work from having been off for a year and a half or two years. Uh, there's a lot of people that, uh, that are having a rough time right now and you better be able to understand what makes them tick and, and, and how to get the most out of them by being empathetic. What other um, qualities do you think are necessary to this time in particular? Well, I think the, the the discussion of resilience and grit is is always going to be uh, you know always going to be important. I mean, I I got a good chuckle out of when I was looking at this this article, and uh, basically their definition of grit is of uh, being a founder is like getting punched in the face every day. I thought that was a that was a pretty good uh, pretty good way to start your day. It's a good kick you know kick in the pants or a wake up call. I mean, I I think you've got to be able to roll with the punches. You've got to be able to be tenacious. You've got to be able to uh, you know to to, to take things to uh, be able to bounce back, uh, you know, and the resilience is obviously key in the, in the COVID world that we're living in now. But I think the resilience is even stronger right now that you got to recognize that every day is going to be a challenge going forward in a difficult economy. And and not so much because of the economy itself being, you know, uncertain. It, it's the emotional state of everybody that, that, that's being a little uncertain at this point. Another thing they mentioned, of course, is long-term vision. Um, how do you even have a long-term vision at this point. Sometimes I chuckle when clients ask for, you know, one or even two-year marketing plan. You know, I sometimes say, can we just maybe go quarter by quarter for now and see how things go? Well, it's interesting because one of the other uh, articles that we we're going to make reference to has a discussion of change management and looking at things on a short-term basis. So you're going to get both ends of the spectrum in this conversation. And I think, you know, if you're going to start something, I think you have to be able to look past the short-term uh, hiccups, and you have to be able to create something that's going to have longevity and something that is going to have 
uh, you know, long-term power. I mean, there's no doubt that you, you cannot get into business, especially right now, uh, with the expe expectation of uh, either, you know, swinging for the fences right away, uh, or even if you happen to hit a home run right away, how is that going to last on a long-term basis? I think there are so many factors out there that are going to see us, um, you know, bounce back and forth. Uh, you have to be able to tie in the short-term and the long-term and be able to see past, um, because I think there's going to be a lot of businesses that are, that are going to be suffering coming forward. This piece from HBR, Six Steps to Agile Change Management. So getting a bit more into the nitty gritty of, uh, of how to um, change your organization in these volatile times. Um, Mike, what, what are your thoughts there? Well, you know, change management, uh, well, actually, that's, I, I should leave that to Alita because that's her specialty at the end of the day. But uh, I think you're, you're talking about, you know, transformational leadership here. Um, you know, looking at uh, new mental models. I think you're, you're you're looking at things and and coming coming to coming to the table with your team and and, and looking at things differently than than you did before. Uh, I, I don't see how uh, you know everything is. If you come back to work or people in your employees come back and it's business as usual, you're in for a rude awakening. Um, so I think the change management at this point is, is, is revolved around a number of things. One of them, I think, is going to be declaring a very clear vision for change. And what is it that you want to bring to the table? What is it that how you want to accomplish things? Uh, you know, we grow up in a world where uh, our strategic plans are long term, where our thought process is long term. Um, I think right now what's going to be important is for not being not getting everything down pat 100%, but more importantly, getting the vision out there, getting people to understand where you're going, recognizing that, you know, a chunk of people are not necessarily going to get it uh, and just make sure that they don't necessarily get in the way while you look at making the change while they're trying to adapt to a much slower thought process. And, and, and that's a very difficult, very difficult position. I think you're going to see people emerge with leadership skills and it doesn't, I don't think it's going to come with a with a uh, uh, with a job description or a business card. It's going to come with the, the styles that they have. And at that point, then what you really need to do is encourage those people uh, that ha can be accountable to start taking the ball and running with it, and and learning as leaders as as we are to kind of take a step back and not be in full control of of everything on a short term basis. That self organizing principle is kind of interesting because uh, managers tend to be very uh, regimented. How do you make sure that your style is um, is being implemented as you keep delegating more? Yeah, it, it's it's it, it's going to be a challenge. I, I think a lot of this is really going to be trial and error and on, on a lot of things. And and I think you have to empower the people that can make the changes. Uh, you have to be there to support and encourage. Uh, you have to, uh, you know, in, in many cases, you actually have to encourage uh, making mistakes at the end of the day to try and get through where we stand. I mean, again, you know, we live in a world of, 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 of an attempt at perfection every day, which we all know that from an entrepreneurial standpoint is actually, uh, you know, the antichrist to, uh, to moving forward is, is you need to make mistakes, you need to embrace mistakes, and you need to learn from mistakes. So you need to create a culture that is open to testing things and trying things and learning things and, and not, you know, put everything in concrete and say, well, here's the decision you've made and you've got to stick to it to going forward. Try it, see if it works. If it doesn't work, regroup, you know, put your tail between your legs, but don't stop doing things. And Mike, lastly, I didn't see us talking about stoicism on the program, but here we are. And you chose a, a piece you want to discuss from the Daily Stoic. And I thought that was super interesting. It's about the power of consistency. And uh, for those who haven't read up on stoicism, I mean, it's all about consistency and trying to regulate your emotions and um, being as uh, not emotionless necessarily, but at least as as neutral seeming as, as you can in your everyday life. 
Yeah, I, I do see this tying in a lot to the emotional intelligence component of, of where we stand at the end of the day. I mean, there's two aspects here. One is consistency. So whether you're leading, um, you know, people, um, whether it's yourself, uh, this ability to try and not be bipolar in your approach to uh, uh, information or your approach to dealing with people goes a long way in providing them you know, a safety net and, and an environment that allows them to, to think and to try things and create a psychological safety. The other thing that's interesting and, and, and I found in this article is, you know, everything you see on television, everything you read talks about this 30-day test. Take the 30-day cleanse, take the 30-day challenge, you know, and at the end of it, you'll be a, you know, a, a, a whole new person. Well, you know, if anybody can find anywhere where that 30 days has any relevance to anything and why it's not 27, 42, or 108 days, uh, especially when I find it very interesting when, you know, over the years they've said from an addiction standpoint, uh, it takes 21 days to create a habit, not 30 days. So, you know, we, we, we live in a world of, uh, of marketing that tells us, you know, if you do a cleanse for 30 days or if you do this for 30 days, you're going to have it nailed. And the problem is with that, and it's like, you know, rapid weight loss programs. Ultimately, at the end of the day, you, you know, you, 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 you drop 20 pounds and you say great in 30 days. The reality is, you know, you're, the likelihood is you're going to put it back on again. So by staying consistent, chances are your, your, your chances of success at the end of the exercise are significantly higher than this constant up and down and, and, and jumping back and forth. And Mike, let's get to our profile for this time. Simon Berman and Jeffrey Kleiman, uh, they are owners of Montreal Mini Storage and the new venture called ClickSpace. Simon and Jeff, welcome to today's Entrepreneur. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. So guys, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take a step back in history when we're dealing with partners. It's always one of the things that always uh, I find very interesting is why partners initially get together. What is it you see in each other? Are you, you know, opposites that attract? Are you providing each other different support? Uh, did you grow up together or did you run across them on the street and say, hey, you want to start a storage business? I'll handle that one, Jeff, if that's okay with you. So um, how did we get together? So uh, the business... Uh, of Montreal Mini Storage started in uh, 2004 uh, on my own. Uh, not too long after that, um, I so realized a need to expand. And uh, Jeff was working at the time in New York in finance industry when the Great Recession hit. And um, the company around him where he was working was pretty much imploding. We both saw a really good opportunity for him to come back to Montreal and help me grow and expand this business. And um, we have since gone from uh, that single location, uh, grown up to 10 self-storage facilities today, and a total of 15 commercial properties under management together. So what, uh, I mean, define the difference between storage and mini storage, other than the obvious size. Uh, well, a storage warehouse where one would typically rent space for a business uh, would require a long-term lease. Uh, it's a little bit less flexible, certainly some kind of credit check, and most importantly, you would sign on for a set amount of space for a set amount of time. Whereas in our industry, in uh, mini storage, uh, there's a high degree of flexibility. The leases are month to month and uh, very frequently. And within our company, we allow clients to even switch their space to grow or shrink in the middle of a month. So it's really flexible. And of course, you mentioned the size factor, which is very important. We rent spaces as small as a closet you find in, in your home. So not typically available in a regular commercial real estate environment. So all of this is done on a month to, uh, on a month, -to -month basis. You're, you're 
what is, I guess, ultimately at the end of the day, are, are, who are your big customers? Is there a, is there a market in particular that you're going after or is this just anybody and everybody? I mean, it is actually for everybody and anybody. It ends up being a large percentage, probably about two thirds or a little bit more than that of residential clients storing their personal belongings. Uh, we do cater to a large amount of small businesses for that remaining one third. So considering we now have around 7,000 storage units in Montreal, it's a, probably about 2,000 businesses that we're servicing today uh, on any given day. So, you know, clearly it was obvious that, you know, going from mini storage to uh, click space was the logical next, uh, logical next step. So uh, maybe give us a little bit of a, an insight as to how you saw a need to, to create click space uh, and uh, give us a little bit of insight as to what exactly ClickSpace is. We saw the need for to bring a house to all of these e-com entrepreneurs in Montreal that does not exist yet to date. We felt that, you know, based on our current operating business, um, we were in a unique position to fulfill that demand in, in Montreal. We already have, you know, a call center, uh, back office staff. We have a lot of experience with short-term rentals, um, logistics, and we have been supporting our e-com entrepreneurs for many years already. Um, coupled with the fact that we have a sizable real estate portfolio, currently at 15 buildings um, and acquiring more every year, we have the ability to grow this ClickSpace uh, platform very quickly within Montreal um, and expand the locations uh, to everybody. Um, so, you know, it was really a, um, a great fit from Montreal Mini Store to pass over to ClickSpace offering these flexible spaces, short-term rentals uh, to this market. So we all know the popularity of co-working, of course. Is this, I guess, co-manufacturing? There is an element of, um, you know, uh, workshop space. So the, the, the difference between co-working and this would be, um, this provides you a space as well to operate your business within, as in have, have yourself a workspace where you could receive shipments, package shipments, um, a small warehouse space, not just a small um, office. And as well, we have, you know, the shipping capabilities that you would not have from a WeWork. What would a, what would a floor layout look like? I mean, you're, you're, everybody's kind of used to, as, as uh, Dan says, the, the office space sharing in a WeWork. I mean, this, uh, this sounds a little more complicated. So a lot of the office elements will be very similar to what you would find in a WeWork. So we like to uh, say that if we work and a third party logistics center had a baby, uh, we would end up with click space. So um, there are different areas that our members and entrepreneurs would pass through. So they have quiet work areas that would have everything you would find in a conventional co-working space. Uh, we have postponed, unfortunately, the launch of our hot desks and those common desks just just due to the pandemic, we hope to launch those pretty soon. So at the beginning, it will be mostly private offices of various sizes for an individual all the way up to a company. We would offer shared conference rooms and other amenities, including uh, podcasting studio, uh, photo studios, and seated in this uh, community, we have our partner companies, which will be uh, vendors and service providers to the e-com world think photographers, videographers, uh, digital marketing experts, uh, import export experts, and uh, 
people who really service those communities already and are now located, scattered in offices throughout the city have chosen to sign up and locate themselves within ClickSpace so that these resources are simply a walk down the hallway rather than a phone call or an appointment away. So we really uh, wanna offer that full turnkey, everything under one roof experience that you can't find anywhere else. Interesting, because I think a lot of the residential uh, projects that have gone up in Montreal have been trying to create the sense of community so that you had, you know, your, your apartment, your condo, and you had the stores, you had everything kind of within one, uh, you know, one building or very short space. And, and you guys are looking at doing this really at a corporate level. Um, what are you providing shipping or, or are the tenants responsible for their own inventory control and their own shipping? So, I mean, that's a great question. One of the most important services that we will be offering will be a full third-party logistics solution. Many people don't really know what that is, but think um, all anything to do with your orders from the time they arrive at the port of Montreal and we brought into our center, they will be sorted and placed on shelves. Uh, anytime an order came in on your website, we would be plugged right into that system. Somebody would pick that off the shelf, pack it in a box and get it out to your customer immediately. So this is something that would be going on every day behind the scenes. Uh, it is optional. All of our services are a la carte. So we allow our clients to do a do it for me solution like that, as well as a do it with me solution where we would provide discounted packaging, discounted shipping labels, and all of those bulk discounts that we've already negotiated uh, through our fulfillment center. So the order fulfillment process itself is being done by us. We have a joint venture partner who has been doing this for almost 30 years. And one of the most uh, successful and long-standing 3PL centers in Montreal. And they've uh, chosen to come along for this journey and service smaller e-com businesses that up until today have no access to that type of service. Uh, it's very hard to get into these third-party logistics centers if you're small. Typically they have very uh, large minimum quantities for monthly rents and, and, and products on the shelf. So we're offering an entry-level service that is world-class and enterprise-class, the same as you would get from an Amazon. Um, similar price points, but accessible to all so that we could really empower some of these startups and, uh, and, 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 and businesses today that are struggling to take care of the logistics on their own, uh, a solution that allows them to really focus on what they do best, growing their business, servicing their clients, finding new products rather than stuffing boxes. Guys, we're talking about sort of um, pushing the model a little bit, the storage model, and um, you guys are going to be converting uh, at least one of your buildings to ClickSpace coming up in the next few years with the goal of, I believe, you said five in, uh, in the next few years, Simon. Uh, how, how ambitious are you with this, uh, with this digital pivot? We do intend to launch five locations by 2025, and we don't actually feel that that is overly ambitious. The market has grown um, probably three times as fast as we thought it would only 18 months ago. Uh, the pandemic really accel uh, accelerated the shift to online shopping. And in addition to that, there is a major space crunch in Montreal, especially for, uh, for, for industrial and warehouse type space. So we feel that um, there's such a large demand that um, we probably will still be quite underserved. So uh, we'll launch our first location, which is really going to be a, a proof of concept. It's going to help us shape our next one. We aim to uh, open in locations that are already 
quite uh, quite populated with uh, digital entrepreneurs, and uh, there are a few a few neighborhoods. I don't want to get into any specifics on that, but um, we could say that we'll be represented throughout the Greater Montreal area by the end of 2025, and probably roll out uh, throughout Quebec um, soon after that. And we hope to license the concept across Canada. So. We do have some very ambitious growth plans, but it really starts with the first, which is set to open at least the fulfillment center this June, which is in a couple of short weeks. And uh, we're going to take everything we learned there and uh, and apply that in the next locations. Awesome sounding. It's, it's, it's nice to hear the positivity in the real estate world after all the commentaries we've heard during COVID. So um, let's talk about the community. And, and, and by the community, I touched on it before, the, the self-contained environment that you guys are creating. I think you're building, uh, I, Jeff, I think you guys are building an environment that is, like you said, it's a one-stop shop. But I think it's more than that. I think it's about an experience. And, and, and it's about a, you know, a going somewhere that you like to go to. And, and I know you guys said, well, you don't have to come. You can send this stuff. But based on some of the things you told me, I, I can't see why people wouldn't want to go. So maybe give us a little bit of a description. Thank you, Michael. It's a, it is definitely about the experience. Um, we are trying to create this flexible space for um, e-com entrepreneurs that have different uh, needs. Um, some might be on site um, and want to be, and want to take uh, advantage of our amenities. Others might want just to ship their goods there and let us handle that part of the business for them. Uh, what amenities will be on site will be um, a podcast and broadcast studio. Um, there, we're going to have an event space on the ground floor of the building as well um, to be used by our members. There is a rooftop lounge, cafeteria, um, an outdoor athletic center, a cafe. So, you know, it's really to meet the needs of, um, uh, of all the entrepreneurs and what they might need to expand and grow their business. Um, along with, you know, what they'll have in their space, they could choose between an office, um, or that work workshop where they'll have a warehouse space or simply that storage space. Um, and you know, rentals will be as short as uh, six months. So to provide that flexibility um, as well, you know, from our experience from the mini, uh, mini storage world, we understand the shifting needs of people um, and to cater to that different size of space and uh, fast flexibility to, to expand or to reduce uh, your business. It's interesting because you mentioned the menu-driven component before in terms of pricing, and and I'm sure you know. I, I the more I listen to you talk, the more I listen to uh, you know. This is less about a rent and and more about a uh, a membership fee type of arrangement in, in the utilization. So um, it'll be interesting from from your perspective, Simon. How how are you going to get the message out of what this is going to cost and how you're going to attract and how you're going to price and not confuse the daylights out of most people? Well. Um we're going with two sizes of office, small and large. So the small would be typically uh, for a single person outfit. Uh, that person would be able to have meetings, either uh, smaller ones in a conference room for up to 10 people, or if they needed to have a larger gathering, we do have our, uh, our podcast studio, which is also an auditorium. We'll be hosting uh, hopefully in-person seminars soon, uh, each month on uh, various topics in e-com. So how are we gonna get the word out in general? Um, believe it or not, uh, the word has kind of snuck out already and we've received a tremendous amount of demand. So there is a huge hole in the market 
at this moment. So um, we do have a very, very detailed marketing plan involving uh, PR as well as, uh, as conventional digital marketing in order to, to, to attract leads. But we have a network right now, as I explained, of about 2,000 commercial clients, um, many of which are already e-commerce entrepreneurs. Um, just in general, between uh, Jeff and uh, our other partners, we have a very, very large network of entrepreneurs here in Montreal. So we're not, we're not really too concerned about the word getting out, but uh, we will most definitely have to educate the market on what it is that we're offering. So we're going to do that uh, through PR and through uh, other conventional uh, digital marketing messaging through social media and, of course, through, through search engines. It's definitely unique for a Montreal environment. Have you modeled this off uh, off of anybody else, anywhere else, either in North America or Europe or somewhere else? Yes, we have. Uh, the concept actually started uh, from a company uh, in Australia. Um, you know, we uh, we looked into this company. It's probably about eighteen months ago, um, and um, what they were doing in terms of the community driven and. Uh, the logistics hub and their forefront in the econ, which actually started before COVID hit, uh, with the you know with with COVID uh, coming into the fold, we did from our original model scale back a bit of the community aspects of it. You know, it, originally we were, we we're going to have training rooms and seminars, uh, very large large rooms for our for people to congregate in, and really to foster that community driven collaboration between econ entrepreneurs. So much can be learned from you know people that have started six months ago um, in in this world. The law of collaboration um, and opening up the doors for people to meet and to uh, work together on their projects. Um, so you know that was a really important part that kind of is a little dormant now because of COVID. But we hope to continue in that path uh, in the future. And besides that, you know there 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 are other companies in the United States that are that have a very similar model, but those models are really focused on the shipping, the 3PL part, not necessarily the community-driven part that we're looking for. Jeff Kleiman and Simon Berman of ClickSpace and Montreal Mini Storage. Hang on, guys. We'll ask for your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in a moment. But first, we welcome back Alita Eid, HR consultant at PVizio by FL Montreal. Uh, welcome back, Alita. Thank you. And Mike, picking up on our uh, conversation with Alita um, a few weeks ago, people and culture, and especially how that is shifting in, uh, in post-COVID times. For those of you that are regulars, and uh, uh, you'll remember Alita from uh, the last episode. However, uh, for those of you that aren't, we're going to contextualize a little bit of the conversation because this is, this is part two. Um, uh, Alita, maybe just give us uh, a little bit of a definition of what the employee experience means uh, and where that goes, because I'm sure if you ask a different generation, you're going to get a completely different discussion of what employee experience is. Yes, for sure. So last time we did talk about um, onboarding practices and how we had to change our onboarding um, in, in um, you know, onboarding new employees after hiring them. And then we talked about employee experience and as to what is employee experience exactly. So onboarding is part of it, but the employee experience is really the journey that employees take with you um, uh, well, in your organization from the hiring process and up to their, their departure. So it's really uh, the different milestones, the interactions, um, anything that you have to offer them from uh, their interactions with their manager to their colleagues, the actual works, workspace and uh, their alignment and their feel towards your, your purpose. 
your brand and your culture. So if employee experience is the, is the journey, then uh, employee experience during COVID is a roller coaster. Um, how has it played a role, I guess, in the uh, COVID? How has it played a role in the employee experience over the last 15 months? Yeah, very well said, Mike. It was a roller coaster. Um, at the beginning, what COVID did is that... Uh, um, when COVID arrived, most companies were operating in a crisis management mode, let's say. Um, we, we were learning and adapting on the go um, because we were all, and I think I said it last time, we were all dealing with fear and uncertainty at the same time. So uh, what was happening in the world was happening to everyone. So uh, when employees looked up to their leaders for answers, their leaders were also looking uh, for answers themselves. And then when time passed, uh, really what happens, human beings, they go through, you know, um, different emotions when, when change hits. So after the shock phase, if you want, uh, all of us together realized that this was, um, this was actually happening. It's here to stay and, it, you know, that it's, uh, it's even here for good now. So people and culture experts and leaders had to really work with the precious information that was given to them. Uh, by the employees, so through active listening, let's say, and observations, um, we were able to detect and really have a good uh, sense of how employees were doing and the level of engagement, and with that, adapt our practices. So what we noticed is that uh, the people's needs shifted completely towards maintaining um, mental health, uh, well-being, safety, a sense of belonging. So really what that is, is that the circumstances, okay, reminded us of the importance of our basic and psychological needs in life. So in terms of employee experience, um, you know, knowing this and hearing this from candidates and employees, what that guided companies to explore options like offering flexible work arrangement, uh, schedules, flexible schedules, uh, offering virtual healthcare, development and training for new skills. And Mike, you touched, you, you mentioned that earlier. Um, we're going to have to develop new skills. I'm not sure what they are at the moment, but um, we'll find out. And revisiting the type of employment um, categories or employment types that we offer. Are we fully hybrid? Are we full-time, part-time? Are we, um, you know, are we offering different types of uh, arrangements for depending on the positions? So these are the things that we had to really explore and open options uh, for. So traditionally, I think we measured uh, employee experience in either retention rates or alternatively, um, you know, uh, turnover with our employees. Uh, we alternatively also looked at, you know, profitability. If we were more profitable with the same people, then obviously our message is getting down and we've been more successful. And that means that our, our culture and our employee experiences, it, it must have improved. I don't think that holds true anymore. It's uh, how are we going to measure employee experience going forward? Um, yeah, so you, you mentioned uh, turnover. You're right. Turnover was always kind of like the, um, the KPI that would, that would uh, lead you to knowing if you're doing something, if you're doing things right or, or wrong. Um, even if companies um, adapted and had to reinvent themselves and, and, and put in place new initiatives, uh, turnover was still there. 
And it was there not necessarily because of poor experience. It was there because people went through a lot. They lost loved ones. They, uh, they took opportunities to, for introspection, to rethink their lives and career aspirations. And some of them just made the move. So turnover right now is not necessarily the the, the the best way to measure it. So I would say um, just keep a pulse on how people are are feeling. I, I do t- I, I do mention active listening a lot, but it is the answer because um, you know employees are the ones that will give you um, the exact um, input on how they're feeling, what they're missing. Uh, they provide you the right feedback for you to to adapt accordingly. And Mike, also you mentioned the fact that. Um, change is constant now. We have no choice. So as we listen to their the feedback that they give us, I guess we're just changing and adapting as we go um, with them. And to keep uh, offering a healthy experience, I really like to mention that it's really a two-way street. It's a it's a relationship between um, two two parties, two people. So we we collectively have to to make the efforts to. To have to for all of us to have an overall experience. So really, uh, for companies, I would say um, offer training and development for your leaders. Make sure that they're equipped to offer the same support to to their employees and make sure they help them throughout their careers. And just lastly, I would say having the right mindset, being open to to feedback developing emotional intelligence, self-awareness, all that will help us in our willing um, willingness to, to progress together. Thank you very much, Alita Eid, HR consultant at PVisio by FL Montreal. And Mike, as we near the end of the program, let's head over to Jeff and Simon of ClickSpace and Montreal Mini Storage. And guys, uh, your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur, please. Let's begin with Jeff. My advice for entrepreneurs out there is to focus on the factors that drive your business success. Trying to do everything uh, will inevitably lead to slow growth or burnout and a poor work-life balance. It's important to to focus on those drivers of success and look for help, assistance uh, in those other areas. And Simon? Um, Just that starting and managing a business is very, very, very difficult, but could also be extremely rewarding, both emotionally and financially, if you're doing it right. Um, Entrepreneurs uh, really need to be persistent and not get discouraged. Uh, Change will come, but you need to have a backup plan and uh, be ready for when things go off the rails. And most importantly, just to have fun. Uh, Once you start an entrepreneurial venture, it becomes your life and you need to enjoy your life. And I'm going to pipe in quickly um, one, one quote from uh, the Stoic article we were talking about before. I want to leave everybody with, with this one thought. So you have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this and you will find strength. Marcus Aurelius. I think that that plays nicely into the resilience discussion at the end of the day. We can only control what we can control. Thanks very much, and uh, Mike, and thanks, Jeff and Simon. And best of luck with this interesting new venture. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you so much. For having us. And thanks to Alita as well. We'll see you back here with uh, more Today's Entrepreneur in a couple of weeks. Don't forget, you can subscribe on iHeartRadio, iTunes, and wherever you find your podcasts, along with uh, over a decade's worth of entrepreneur profiles at todaysentrepreneur.org. We'll see you back here soon. Thanks, Dan. Stay safe.